Father, I thank you for this day, for the opportunity to be before you, to, to hear your word, to speak your word, and pray that your wisdom and what you would have for us would come forth. And I just pray that your hand would be on each and every one of us as we fellowship afterward as well, and just pray for your blessing over this sermon and, and all the hearts that are open to hear it. In the name of Jesus, amen. When I started to prepare for this sermon, I thought I was going to be speaking on mercy, and that would have been a lot easier. But the more I got into it, I got into patience, and the more I got into patience, kind of got into humility, and then back to patience. But um, I don't think, after studying, I don't think you can be patient without humility. Let's, uh, let's open up in, in Luke 21, 16 through 19. Right here, it very clearly puts that our patience has very little to do with our circumstances. It says that, uh, let me see. It says, you should be betrayed both by parents and brethren, by kinsfolk and friends, and some of you they shall cause to be put to death. And you will be hated for, of men for my name's sake, but there shall not a hair of your head perish. But in your patience you possess your souls. And the weight of that last verse there is pretty immense. Uh, you can actually hold on and keep your souls by how patient you are, not just with other people, but with God. I was actually going to speak on this sermon four years ago, or the very verse four years ago in the Dominican, but it rained, and God made me wait four years to speak on patience. But um, <laughs> for me, I prepared that I was actually caught off guard. They, they asked me to speak that night, and I stopped work, and I prepared all day long for this sermon. And then right before the sermon, I was supposed to leave. We were in an open truck, and it started raining, so we couldn't get there. And, you know, I'm terrified of public speaking, so it didn't bother me too much. But there was a lot of preparation that, that went out the window. And for me, that may have been something I had to work on my patience, but for them, they were in a time of, they were in a rainy season and they were getting no rain. Every single night, they were meeting at church to pray for rain because they had planted, but they weren't going to get any growth because there was no rain. So for them, my preparation went out the window so their patience, so the fruit of their patience could be revealed. I think as Americans, we tend to have very little leeway with people. We want things done the way we want it, how we want it, when we want it. We have to wait more than 10 or 15 minutes of fast food. You know, if we could wait that long, we would have gone to slow food. If you go to slow food and the food isn't cooked just right or the service isn't good, if we didn't care what our food tasted like or how the service was, we would have been to fast food. But in the natural, the amount of the patience isn't based on the amount of time you wait, but the attitude in the amount of time you wait. It's not how many times something is done wrong or how long you have to wait for something to be done right. It's what our attitude is. If you waited ten times, but at five times you were angry, you may have more self-control, but you don't have patience. I think as, as Christians, or I was actually messaging with Caleb last Sunday about this, about I had to leave church early because temperance was acting out. And he said that he understood that it was just part of being a parent, and it was part of being a parent that God teaches us the most. 
through, and um, I realize that God teaches us through our kids more than, than I even could imagine. Tanner was talking to me about raising kids, and he said that we have to be consistent. No matter what our attitude or what mood we're in or what kind of day we've had, we have to be consistent with our actions and reactions, and I'm, I'm not good at that. Uh, God teaches us not to hold grudges through our kids when you have nice things and they break them, throw them in the toilet. I'm not really good at that. Or being patient like last Sunday. Temperance is good at home, but you bring her out in public and that's when she wants to, to act out. I'm not good at that either. I'm really, really looking forward to when God uses the kids to teach me something I'm really good at and I don't need to work on. I haven't got there yet, but it's, I'm sure it's coming. Let's open up, uh, let's go to Psalms 37.7. It says, Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself because of him who prospers in the way, because of the man that brings wicked devices to pass. I think we, we struggle with patience because we look at it from our point of view. Um, you know, when we were in a position to make mistakes, you know, we hoped that people would have patience with us. But you know, I see people make mistakes. You know, people I work with, people are driving, cut me off. And I'm always thinking, you know, why? why would that person, that person intentionally cut me off because they want to make me mad? But from their point of view, they may have been cut off and had to get out of the way. You know, when God has to be patient with us, when we make mistakes over and over, you know, when, when we th- we're sitting there thinking, well, why are these people prospering? Right there at the end, it says, don't, don't worry about the people who are prospering because in, in their evil ways, this is right here, you know, it says, fret not because of the man that brings wicked devices to pass. You know, why would someone not following God be blessed? And I, I really struggled with this a few years ago when Laura and I had, had lost, a, lost our baby. I couldn't understand. I went to John and I asked him, I said, why would these thousands of babies being given to these people who are going to take them to the hospital and murder them? You know, why, I just want one that I can raise. Why, you know, take one from them and give it to me. And, you know, if I was in that position, if I was, if I had that power, you know, so I, I would do it differently. This is where humility, excuse me, humility comes into play because I have to be or have to believe that I am more caring and smarter than God to make that statement. And I don't know. I know there was a work that had to be done in my heart, in my life. And I had to go through that. I don't know all the reasons. I will, eventually. But when we are in, in trouble, I think we tend to, our pride gets in the way. We don't want to wait, and we don't want to ask someone necessarily that is more spiritually mature than us because we don't want to seem spiritually immature. We don't want to be... Patient, because then someone can say, well, if you had acted sooner, it wouldn't have turned out this way. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't give people instruction or, or take instruction. Proverbs 9.9 9 says, 
to give instruction to a wise man, and he'll be wiser. You teach a just man, and he'll increase in learning. But your attitude towards teaching someone and your attitude towards or giving instruction and receiving instruction is more important most of the time than the instruction. Because if someone comes to me and says, I've been there, here's what I went through, I'm more likely to listen than if someone comes up and takes it and says, just watch me do it. I'm tired of watching you do it wrong. In uh, Ephesians 6, 4, it says, Fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. It's a lot easier for someone to take your advice and to be patient. If you think about the fact that it says the nurture and admonition, we're supposed to carefully encourage. And all of, you know, growing up, my dad, whenever he would teach me something, he would teach me once, and then I better get it. And that wasn't, things came easy for him. He was always really good at everything he tried. And, you know, I think that's why I struggle a lot. I would, you know, if I'd learned a lesson, I'd be too ashamed to go back and ask forgiveness for it again. You know, I I made the mistake again. I'll just do it my way this time because I don't want to ask. I don't want to be that, uh, that weak. And I was using it as an excuse to not be patient with God. You know, there's an old, there's a quote that I heard here that says that uh, if we could apply to ourselves what we require of others, our relationships would be better. Our attitudes would change. You know, all of these struggles are things I think we struggle with, or at least I do, in our relationship with God. Because we tend to think, well, he's either, he's, he's too perfect to understand what we're going through. Or maybe he just won't answer in enough time. You know, this, this perfect entity that, um, that, you know, once you get it wrong the first time, there's no excuse for the second. And there is no excuse for sin, but there is grace. And uh, as hard as it is to be patient with people, I think it's even harder to be patient with a God that we know doesn't make mistakes. You know, with people, okay, we can give that leeway. But why, if we don't understand, get back into humility of whether or not we believe we are smarter or more caring than God, but, you know, why would God do certain, some things a certain way if he is perfect? We have to have patience. That's why he gave us his word because he is perfect and he does understand that we're going to make mistakes. And if you think of the patience that required God before time began to sit back and say, okay, I want them to survive, I want them to thrive, so I'm going to walk with them in the garden and teach them everything they need to know. But he knew they, they were going to fail. And he says, okay, I'll just raise up leaders, great leaders, I'll speak to the leaders, and the leaders will lead them. And they're still going to fail. Then he gets to the payment and he says, okay, I'm going to send my son as proof of my love, pay for their failures, pay for their sins, but they're still going to fail. And lastly, he he says, I'm I'm going to take all these words that have been written, I'm going to put them in a complete instruction booklet, and they're still going to fail. 
See, if you, if you stop there for a second and you think about if this book didn't exist, how much more patience would it require of us? See, when I look back in the Old Testament, I couldn't understand how all these people who saw these great signs and wonders would just turn around as soon as they had to wait for anything. The Egyptians, when they, when they left Egypt, as soon as they got thirsty, well, I know I can see the cloud at day and the pillar of fire at night, but I can't wait. Every single thing that they had to know had to come from a man. That was getting his word from God. But imagine if this book didn't exist and you needed an answer. If you went to the priest, the priest didn't know, so you have to wait for him to go through the veil and get the answer. If he takes too long or comes out and doesn't give the answer you want, every sermon that priest has ever spoken is going to go through your head. You can't get in the word and say, well... No, no, that doesn't line up. You have to be patient with him. The people, the people of Israel, they didn't have the whole story. You know, we look back and think, think of, of Korah and the princes of Israel when they were trying to take the leadership away from Moses and Aaron. All they, well, why is Aaron so much better than me? I, all I did was give him some, some earrings and some bracelets. He made the calf. Are you sure he's supposed to be the leader? He made a mistake. Or Moses, at this point in time when they, were, when they were fighting against Moses, Moses was the only one of them that was not allowed in the promised land because he had struck the rock and said it spoke to it. Well, shouldn't there be a leader here that is going to be allowed to lead us into the promised land? Why is Moses, who's got the greatest judgment so far, why is he our leader? You see, based on the Bible, we can look back and it's obvious. We can look back and say, well, you know, God called him here, God called him here. And we know, the Bible strictly says, that they were in the wrong. But they didn't. Imagine the patience that would require of Joshua and Caleb. You know, they had to have faith and wait. I think we look at things carnally in the sense of we have to wait for a situation to be fixed or a person to learn a lesson. But it's more about looking at it from the point of view of, okay, what is God trying to teach me or teach that person? If we could look at it more of a lesson being learned spiritually, our physical failures and their physical failures, they don't mean as much. You know, Moses wasn't, his leadership wasn't removed because of he, he made a mistake. He did make a mistake and there was consequences, but he had to learn something through that. Even through his mood or his anger, I can't imagine anybody being able to do any better than striking a rock after being tested that long. But it didn't invalidate his, his walk because he made a mistake. It just showed him he needed, to, he needed to learn patience more. 
And we shouldn't constantly struggle in our lives with patience. We shouldn't constantly struggle in our lives with trials. Our lives shouldn't be a trial, but we shouldn't be surprised that trials come. We have to learn to be patient and get into the word that we do have in the good times because when it hits, there's, there's no time to prepare for patience. Um, see, uh, it's always easy to look for the easy way out. That's the way I am. It works for everyone else, that's what I'll do. The Bible doesn't say if it works for everyone else, that's what you should do. You know, if we don't fix it now, it's going to get worse. If we don't fix it right and do it ourselves, then we're going to have to struggle and suffer. But we're not called to, to flee from suffering. We're called to, to be patient through it. If you go to the, the beginning of Psalms 37, the first thing it says there, it says, Fret not yourself because of evildoers, neither be envious against the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass, and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord, and do good, so you will dwell in the land. And verily you shall be fed. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give thee the desires of your heart. Commit your ways unto the Lord, trust also in Him, and He will bring it to pass. And He shall bring forth thy righteousness as the light, and thy judgment as the noonday. Rest in the Lord, and wait patiently for Him. Fret not yourself because of him who prospers in the way, because of the man who bringeth wicked, wicked devices to pass. The first thing it says is don't worry. Don't fret. Don't worry about it. How you can do that is you need to trust in the Lord. You can do that by delighting in the Lord. You can do that by committing your way to the Lord. And the fruit of that action is being able to rest and wait patiently. Over and over in the Bible, the children of Israel are told, you were this close. You know, I, was, I was ready to save you. Your salvation was this close. But you had a better idea. You, know, you, you had a, a scheme that was going to work for you. But no matter how bad the odds looked before, you were going to survive through my salvation. And now no matter how good your plan looks, no matter what nation you've paid you're going to fail. So that's a question. How much time do we have to wait on God? How long can we go before we can justly say, I've waited on your promises long enough. I'm, I'm right in saying it. I'm, I'm going to try a different way. Let's bring it back to kids. If you walked into the room and you gave your kid a box with a key in it. You told him, so this, isn't, this isn't your gift. The gift is in the box. But you can't use this gift until I come back and tell you how, when, and where. Now, if you leave the room, come back an hour later, and they waited an hour, but they used it, would it be okay? Is there any amount of time that we would come back and say, okay, it's okay that you disobeyed because... I didn't come back in the time that you wanted. Or how about they come back and the kid was going to make a fort 
out of broomsticks and blankets. But he couldn't get it to stay upright without that box. So he uses that box to prop up one of the broomsticks. Come back and oh, it's okay. You know, you didn't use the gift, but no, no. We, I think we spend the majority of our time propping up our lives with this book instead of living our lives by it. I think that is why our trials last so long. And I'm speaking personally. I'm not condemning anybody. I'm, I was very um, condemned by this myself. But our lives are being propped up, in, or my life in several situations has been propped up by my impatient plans on top of a box that had all the gifts in it that I would need to survive. Now, as parents come back, and most of us would say, you used the gift, you weren't supposed to, now you don't get it at all. Thank God God is not that way. He has much more patience. This is where he shows his patience is greater than ours, but it doesn't seem like it. Because he comes back, he says, okay, that gift is yours, but you can't get to it because it's covered up with your fort made with broomsticks and blankets. So he has to start taking broomsticks out, letting it collapse. Our lives seem to go from, from passable to just horrible. We might start thinking like the children of Israel coming out of Egypt. Hey, you know, man, this is bad. It was better in Egypt. Yeah, we were slaves, but we had fish, we had vegetables, you know. But to... God, he's taken away these things to get to your gift. We're like, hey, you know, yeah, it was drafty. When it rained, the cloth roof would leak, but at least it gave us shade. The worst thing we can do at this point in time is rebuild it behind him. And that's what I do. I start trying to prop it back up. I don't know, know why I can't sit back and be patient. But it says we need to be patient and wait on the Lord. I'm not saying we live our life without making decisions. The Bible calls us to action, not inaction, but he also says our life should be more about waiting patiently for answers than acting rashly on our own wisdom. I know that a situation like this in my life, I had an air compressor that had lasted 20 years blow up on me at the shop, almost the whole shop runs on air. And we weren't that busy, didn't have that much money. So we had a few things we had to get finished. We went over to Lowe's and got an air compressor, put it on wheels. We'd roll it around to each station. It wasn't big enough to run the shop. But we had, you know, we didn't have enough money to buy a new air compressor. So we went. Laura started scouring through the internet and of course, I wanted one that was bigger because I hated having to wait on the air to, to power up. And she finally found one. We had a, a 10 horsepower, so I thought a 50 horsepower would work even better. And we got it back in the back. It was a 16th, eighth of the price of what a new air compressor would cost, but I could afford it. Got it back in the back and uh, opened it up, and there was no way this would work. Draw too much electricity. My plans were going to fail. We weren't in a hurry, though, so we kept on doing the other stuff. Called a guy, and he told me how to get it working. 
didn't have enough money to do it right, but we did it ourselves, wired it, got it back there, and it was just enough of a wire, just enough of a gauge of wire that it would start and run. It was not what it should have been when it turned on. It sounded like someone was hitting the wall with a sledgehammer over in the breaker box. It was, it was not the safest thing in the world. It leaked oil. Six months later, it blew up. First one lasted for 20 years. Next one lasted for six months. But this time, we are covered up in work. There's no way we can afford to roll a little air compressor around every station. Didn't work that good to begin with. There's no way we can afford to look around to find something used. A guy had stopped by the shop. Laura had asked him to stop by, and he said he thought we were too small, but he had a new air compressor. And she looked, she said, well, do you want it? And I said, yeah, but we can't afford it. And she said, well, now we can and it was only new equipment I've ever bought. But the guy showed up. He said he would get us one the next day. Showed up, hooked it up, and they said that because we had had everything wired the way we had it wired, all we had to do was put a box back there, and we were set. For me, I'd spent six months trying to figure out why, or actually almost a year because it lasted six months, why every single time it seemed like everything that I was building was being destroyed. But if I hadn't got an air compressor that wouldn't work, if the other air compressor that leaked oil for 20 years hadn't gone out, I wouldn't have this air compressor that does everything I needed, well beyond anything that I could imagine. It takes the water out of the, out of the air and never has to, it's a continuous pump, never has to power up. But to me, I had to be patient while he was tearing down the plans that I was working with. I didn't stop and say, okay, God, what am I doing here? And once I got to that point, when he let me wait to a time where I did have the money, then it was clear. He even used my impatient plans. Thank God I didn't have to tear everything else back down. But he used my plans to my advantage once I got to that point. Once I got to the point where I could see that it wasn't my plans, it was his plans, that's where his blessing was waiting. Let's turn to, to Isaiah 30. This is... My favorite chapter in the entire Bible, I think because it follows my life so well, my poor decisions, but to put it in, in perspective, the Assyrian army was attacking the northern kingdoms of Israel and they had every intention after conquering the northern kingdoms of Israel to go south and conquer Judah. And God had sent his prophets and said, okay, here's what they're supposed to do. But they had a better idea. They said, no, you know, we're going to go into Egypt and they're going to be, they're going to be our salvation, not God. So you start there in, in verse 1. It says, Woe to the rebellious children, saith the Lord, 
that take counsel, but not of me, and cover with a covering, but not of my spirit. They may add sin to sin, that walk to go down into Egypt, and have not asked at my mouth to strengthen themselves in the strength of Pharaoh, and to trust in the shadow of Egypt. Therefore shall the strength of Pharaoh be your shame, and the trust in the shadow of Egypt your confusion. For the princes of Zoan and his ambassadors came to Hanes. They were all ashamed of a people that could not profit them, nor be in help or a prophet, but a shame and also a reproach. The burden of the beast of the south and the land of trouble and an anguish, from whence come the young and the old lion, the viper and the fiery serpent, or the flying serpent. They will carry their riches upon shoulders of the young mules and the treasures upon the bunches of camels to a people that shall not profit them. Now, if you, if you think about this statement or this plan of theirs, God had told them to wait. So, instead of waiting, they want to go backwards hundreds of years. They, when they left Egypt, the Bible says they spoiled them. Everybody asked of their neighbors, they gave them their jewelry, all of their treasures, their gold. And they're coming back and they're saying, okay, you know, God, I, I, I don't want to hear it. I want, I want to go back. I want to give them all of our treasures and gold. I want to give up everything you've given me. I know this is the land that, that, that we're supposed to have. But I want to give that to them, and whatever's left, I'm going to pay Egypt for safety. At the end of 7 there, it says, their strength was to sit still. So, all they had to do was wait. To get out of sitting still. Think about a kid trying to get a kid to sit still. That's how we are in our relationship with Christ. And God says, hey, sit still. Calm down. I'm getting your food ready. There's no reason to throw a fit. Just wait. Let's read on and starting in 8. It says, Now go write it in a book before them, in a table, and note it in a book, that it may be for a time to come, forever and ever, that this is a rebellious people, lying children that will not hear the law of the Lord, which say to the seers, See not, and to the prophets, Prophesy not. Unto us write things, but speak unto us smooth things, prophesy deceits. Get you out of the way, turn aside, and cause the Holy One of Israel to cease from before us. Wherefore, thus saith the Holy One of Israel, because ye despise this word, and trust in oppression and perverseness, and stay thereon, therefore will this iniquity Therefore, this iniquity shall be to you as a breach ready to fall, swelling out in a high wall, whose breaking comes forth suddenly and at an instant. The people of Israel just wanted the prophets to say, that's a great idea. Yeah, just give it all up. It's a great idea. It says, 
that they wanted to trust in oppression and perversion. That seems pretty ignorant, but any time that we are wanting to trust in our plans over God's plans, we're wanting to trust in oppression. We know deep down, we've learned it and heard it for years, we know that God's plan, He knows the plan He has for us, to prosper us, not to hurt us. So if we change His plan, we know we are asking to not be prospered. When we pervert something we've heard out of this, this Bible, or twist something that we think is, no, oh, I'll just do it this way, we are wanting to be in oppression. We're wanting to trust in perversion. All that to get out of being patient. Let's go to verse 14 through 17 and go through the consequences here. Then he shall break it as the breaking of a potter's vessel that is broken in pieces. He shall not spare, so that there shall not be found in the bursting of it a shard to take fire from the hearth, or water to take or to take water out of the pit. For thus saith the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, in returning and rest shall be ye shall be saved. In quietness and confidence shall be your strength. But you would not. But you said, No, we will flee upon horses, therefore you will flee. We will ride upon the swift, therefore shall they that pursue you be swift. One thousand shall flee at the rebuke of one, and at the rebuke of five till uh, you will flee, till you be left as a beacon on top of a mountain and as an ensign on top of a hill. I know this is, is, is not a, a really peaceful sermon so far. It's not where I wanted the sermon to go when I was studying for it. When you're speaking on humility, you really want people to like your sermon. But it is amazing. God says, okay, I'm going to let you enact your plan. Because everything you think is going to work for you, it's going to work against you. Because you think you're going to, I'll just, I'll just run. Okay, now you're going to have to run. Well, our horses are fast. I'll make their horses faster. Egypt is strong. I am going to make Assyria stronger. I'm going to break it down to the point where one person will be able to scare off a thousand of you and five will scare off the rest. You see, up to this point, Israel has done nothing right. Made a mistake. They added sin to sin, mistake to mistake. They have literally told God, you either agree with me or don't talk to me. I don't want to hear it. Our inheritance means nothing. I know you hated Esau for giving up his inheritance and his birthright. We don't care. Either work with us or get out of our way. God finally... Here at the end, he says, okay, 
So I'm going to lift my hand. I've waited 400 years for you to cease from sin. But I'm going to tell you ahead of time. I'm going to write it in a book so you'll know. I told you ahead of time, when my hand is lifted, you'll be left with nothing. All of your plans, there's nothing left. The only value you'll have is as a beacon to those that come after that that wasn't the right path. You just be a sign on top of a hill. <laughs> That's pretty, pretty bad. And it says they're a beacon, which means we don't have to follow them all the way to the end here. We don't have to, to walk in the path that they walked in. But it says if you do, that will be how we glorify God. No matter what. Every person on earth will glorify God one way or the other. That's what we're all here for, either as an example or as his child. Thank God that is not the last word here. Let's continue on in verse 18 through 20. This is in there, on top of that mountain, there will the Lord wait that he may be gracious unto you. And therefore will he be exalted that he may have mercy upon you. For the Lord is a God of judgment. Blessed are all they that wait for him. For the people shall dwell in Zion at Jerusalem. You shall weep no more. He will be very gracious unto you. Unto thee at the cry of thy voice. When he shall hear it, he will answer thee. And though the Lord give you bread of adversity and water of affliction, yet shall not thy teachers be removed into a corner any more. But your eyes will see your teachers. God says, if you do every single thing wrong, if you're one of my children, when you get to your lowest point where you have no value, but as a warning. I'm already there waiting so I can be gracious to you. I'm already there waiting so I can build you back up. Everything else is clear. Let's start from scratch. Now you can receive your gift. And I think some of us have to get to that point before we'll actually listen. I did. I think some of us go through these have gone through them, are going through them, or will go through them. Everybody has to go through a trial, or many, where you have to trust God. Everybody has to be tested in this way to see if we're willing to turn before we get to the end, get to chapter 17 there. From there on out, the rest of that verse from... 21 to 32, it talks about all of the stuff that God is going to restore. The, the, for us, you know, failing a test doesn't mean the end of the story. For us, the end of the story is when our teachers are brought back before us. That is what we need the most. For us, 
says that we will no longer, even when we have to eat the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, he will not remove our teachers from us. That is patience. No matter how bad we get, if we are his children, that's his patience. I kind of went through that a little faster than I thought I was, but that's all I got. So, Father, I thank you for this opportunity. I pray that, that we have learned that your word was spoken and, and not my ideas. And I just pray that your hand will be continually on this body. In the coming days, I know that if we listen to you and listen to your wisdom, we can't go wrong, even if we look foolish to the outside world. Just thank you, Lord, for this body and for the words you've given us. In Jesus' name, amen.